with me uh, in your bulletins uh, to Joshua chapter 6. It's a long chapter, but we'll read the chapter in its entirety. Uh, and as, as we ponder what's going on in this chapter, the question that's going to be presented to us is, are you ready to follow God even when it doesn't make any sense? Are you ready to follow God and to obey what He is doing in your life even when it doesn't make any sense? That's the question we're going to be looking at. So Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, and all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, uh, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone, straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant, of, of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the, the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark. While the trumpets blew continually, but Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second uh, day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. 
and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you, be, when you have devoted them, you take away any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted uh, and the trumpets uh, were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction. Both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the, but the, two, the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go to the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her. As you swore to her, so the young men who had been spies, went in and brought Rahab and her family and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath upon them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn, shall he lay its foundation at the cost of his youngest shall he set up its gates so the lord was with joshua and his fame was in all the land the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of the lord remains forever let's pray and let's ask god's blessing on our time this morning almighty heavenly father you work in wonderful in marvelous ways, ways that we do not understand. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us uh, this morning. We pray that you would work in our hearts, applying the word that you have for us by the power of your spirit. Father, all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is it. This is uh, the moment that Israel has been waiting for. And when we think of the story of Joshua, how can our minds not be drawn directly to this chapter and this story? If our children know one story from the book of Joshua, it's this one. Uh, there's you know, the old song that celebrates this story that, that, that goes, uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho uh, and the walls came tumbling down. You may talk to me of your men of Gideon. You can talk to me about your men of Saul, but there's none like old Joshua in the battle of Jericho. It's a very popular and, and great story. 
This is a good story to know. We should praise God that this is uh, a popular story from his word. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid that in its popularity, many of us have forgotten something. We've forgotten uh, this question. Who really fights the battle of Jericho? Who really fights the battle of Jericho? Well, we'll see this answer clearly as we dive into the text that it's not Joshua and the battle of Jericho. It's God and the battle of Jericho. Now, don't forget what God told Joshua and the people. In in chapter 1, verse 6, he said, You, Joshua, shall cause uh, this people to inherit the land. They will inherit the land. And then again, uh, in chapter 1, verse 11, uh, pass over this Jordan uh, to go in and take possession of that land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. The Lord your God is giving you to possess. And here in chapter 6, we see God actually fulfill uh, the promises that he made to his people. That he would go before them. That he would uh, conquer over the people in the land. That he would cleanse the land of all who uh, displeased him. And we saw, as last time that I was here, we saw in chapter 5, uh, the commander of the Lord's army come to Joshua. And he came. He came with his sword drawn. His sword was drawn and he was showing Joshua, now is the time. Now is the time for the execution of God's plan. Uh, But there's something something odd going on here. There's something odd in this chapter. Perhaps you've noticed it. Perhaps you've always seen it. You've always been curious about it. God's plan is very unconventional. God's plan is very unconventional. I don't think that you would find God's strategy in what he does in the great battle of Jericho. I don't think you'd find that battle strategy in any military history textbooks. It's an odd strategy. Yet this is God's plan. This is God's plan. His plan for establishing a kingdom for his people. A plan that he is continuing to work out today. And that's the main thing that we see in Joshua chapter 6. We see that God is leading you. God is leading you. He is executing his plan in your life, but he does so in unexpected ways. He does so in unexpected ways. We'll see this in our text. We'll see it as we look at the first 15 verses. We'll see the mystery of God's plan, his, his unconventional plan, the mystery of God's plan. And then... We'll look at verses 16 to 27 as we'll see the glory of God's plan. How, how God's plan brings about his glory. So notice the first step in God's plan for Israel. He's just brought Israel through the back door of the land of Canaan, uh, the, the Jordan River. I'm sure this was thought of as uh, an impenetrable wall. Uh, no nation, no army would ever try to cross uh, this river, especially during the time of the harvest, especially when it's overflowing its banks, which is the exact conditions in which Israel crossed the Jordan. And so God brings them through Canaan's back door, as it were, uh, bringing them to Canaan's biggest and most powerful, its strongest city, Jericho. 
when we see in the first verse, uh, we get this uh, status report of the city of Jericho. We're told in verse 1, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Why do you think that the mighty city of Jericho would be cowering behind its walls? Don't forget uh, Rahab's report uh, a couple chapters earlier. Don't forget the report that we're told in chapter 5. That when the, when the people of Jericho, when they heard of what God did for Israel at the Red Sea, when they heard of what God did back at the Red Sea, their hearts melted. And then when they hear uh, that God just did the same exact thing with the Jordan River, he's divided the Jordan River, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Why doesn't the, the armies of Jericho just march out and meet Israel for battle? They have seen what God can do. They've seen what God can do, and this mighty city is terrified. This mighty city is terrified. Imagine the confidence of Israel as they're, they're preparing for battle on the plains of Jericho, standing strong, knowing with full confidence that their God is with them. He is living and active. This God is truly with Joshua just as he was with Moses. And then God lays out his plan. Then God tells, tells his plan to Joshua. See, I have given Jericho into your hand, he says, with its king and mighty men of valor. God tells Joshua, I have given. Who fights the battle of Jericho? God does. God lays out the battle strategy and God executes. God uh, carries out the battle strategy. Well, if it's all God, if it's all God's uh, battle strategy, if he carries it out, what then is Israel to do? What is Israel to do? What's their role in this battle? Their role is to step forward in faith. They're to step forward in faith, following God's command, uh, following his battle plan. But what is God's plan? As I was studying this text, I came across uh, a commentator who uh, he, he referenced a scholar who's done, uh, basically devoted his life work to studying ancient Near East battle strategies, especially uh, battle strategies for attacking a walled city. And uh, this, this scholar mentioned five ways in which you could attack a walled city and be successful. So one, you could go over the wall. And two, another option, you could go under the wall. Or three, you could go through the wall. Four, you could surround the city and you could starve out the people. Or you could use trickery. You could use something along the lines of a wooden horse, like the Trojan horse. Modern scholars have studied. They've determined that these are five solid strategies, probably the top five strategies uh, for attacking a walled cities. Personally, I like the sound of each of them. They all have various different appeals. They make good sense. Seems like a good pool of plans uh, to pick from. Let's look at our text and let's see which one will God choose. Which one of these is God's plan? You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. 
Thus you shall do for six days. You shall not shout or make your voice heard until the day I tell you to shout. Uh huh. March around the city. That's God's plan. March around the city. Don't, don't set up ladders. Don't grab your shovels. Uh, don't build a wooden horse and hide inside of it. March around the city in silence. Verses 4 to 14, we see how they go about doing this. They line themselves up, uh, the fighting men uh, leading the way, then the priests with their, blowing, their, their trumpets blowing, then the priests carrying the ark, and then uh, followed by uh, the rear guard. Everyone is to be silent. Only sounds of trumpets are to be heard. For six days, they're to do this. For six days, they're to gather into formation. They're to, to march around the city once. Uh, the, the presence of the Lord is in their midst. The Ark of the Covenant is there. And then they're to return to camp. But then on the seventh day, on the seventh day, and they're to march around the city seven times. And on the final march around, uh, with the long blast of the trumpets, all the soldiers are to shout with a great Shout, and we're told in verse 5, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Israel is to step forward in faith, following God's command, even when the battle plan, even when the battle strategy seems foolish. On the surface, that's exactly how this looks. This seems like a foolish plan. But should that surprise us, that God would work in this way? Because God works in whatever way would give him the most glory. What did Israel do to bring down the walls of Jericho? Walk around them? I've walked around many buildings, and as far as I understand, all of those buildings are still standing. Shout at them? Well, I've... I've Shout it at walls. We can shout at walls until we're red in the face. But that's not necessarily going to tear the walls down. What did Israel do that brought down the walls of Jericho? They obeyed God. They obeyed God. They stepped forward in faith. In faith knowing that God is with them. Even if that plan felt foolish, God was with them. He was working in their midst. God did wonders among them. After all, this is how God would choose to establish uh, his kingdom of Israel, his kingdom for his people, his kingdom on earth where he would dwell with his people, where his uh, people would dwell with him. God chose this plan. Walk around a city. Walk around the city. This is how you will take possession of Jericho. This is how God establishes his kingdom for his people on earth with trumpets and with shouts. And the Israelites need to step forward in faith. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with stepping forward in faith and trusting that God is working wonders in your midst, trusting uh, that he is working wonders even in the midst of suffering? How are you doing with that? It wouldn't have been a surprise to me if I had heard some of the Israelites weren't too sure about this plan. I wouldn't be surprised because that's exactly how I would react. 
If you're like me, when you see an issue, when you see a problem, you, know, you immediately you want to step in and you want to, to fix it, to say, what can I do? How can I fix the problem? Or uh, when the future is unknown, how often do we step in and start forming our own plans, making our own paths, uh, instead of relying on God? When God's plans seem confusing, this is what I'm tempted to do. To, to step in without consulting, to step in without trusting God. Stepping in, forming my own paths, plans uh, which are more in line with my own desires than with God's. This is how uh, we get in the way of God's plan. And we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to say to God, lead me, Lord. Direct my paths in accordance with your word. Are we ready and willing to say that to God? So while God's plan from our perspective may seem foolish, God uses what is foolish in powerful ways. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. God chose what is foolish in the world to what? To shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This is how God operates. This is what God does. It is, it's mysterious to us. That is uh, the mystery of his plan. We may never understand why God decided to do things the way he does. Why he allows cancer to ravage our bodies. Why he allows... Uh, you know, the sudden issue with our car to suddenly wipe out our bank account. Why he allows us to be in a work environment that's way more stressful than we can bear. Way more uh, drama-filled than we care to be participating in. We may not understand why God uses these means to make his glory known in our lives. But we can understand the end goal can understand the end goal. God is able to use these things to bring about his own glory. As Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God reveals his glory out of his mysterious and so as we turn uh, to look at the remaining verses that we have in this chapter, uh, we'll see the result of God's mysterious plan, how his plan is leading to his own glory. In the rest of the text, we see God take the city of Jericho. He does this, as he does this, he puts his glory on full display. Starting in verse 15, we see on the seventh day, as uh, they're marching around the city seven times, we're told in verse 16, and at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. That's the key phrase, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Who fought the the battle of Jericho, was it Joshua or was it God? It was God. The Lord did. The Lord won the city by bringing down the walls. And the Lord gave the city to the people. Don't miss that very important detail. The Lord gave the city to Israel. 
This is the result of his plan. He proves himself more powerful than the mighty walls of Jericho. He begins to establish his kingdom on earth through the total destruction of the mighty city of Jericho. He used what might seem uh, like a foolish plan to display his glory, his power, his might. In this, God reveals two things to us about himself and what he does. First, we see his holiness. We'll talk about that in a second. We see his holiness. We also see his mercy. We'll come to that towards the end. How do we see God's holiness? We see God's holiness in the, the complete and total annihilation of the city of Jericho. Look at verse 17. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. And we see it again in verse 21. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both the men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. God's holiness is not to be trifled with. While this is true, this can be hard for us to understand. This is hard for us to understand. This is uh, the holy war that Joshua has been preparing the people for. Uh, the, the complete and total annihilation of the inhabitants of the land. This is how God would establish his kingdom on earth. But, but is God just in doing this? Is God right? What did Jericho ever do to God? Why does Jericho deserve this punishment? The Canaanites have sinned grievously before God. Sin alone is enough for a holy God to bring down his justice upon them. And while on the surface this might seem like a battle between Israel and the Canaanites, actually this is a battle between God and sin. This is a battle between God and sin. And God's plan calls for sin's total annihilation because he is holy. This concept of, of, of holy war that goes on in Joshua can be hard for us to understand. But when we see God's holiness, and we look at the totality of our sin, the words from 1 John should ring in our ears that God is light. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In the face of all, holy, of all holiness, everything must be destroyed. Verse 24 tells us that they burned the city with fire, everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Everything is burned. Everything is destroyed. Everything except these precious metals. These God would store up in the treasury of the house of the Lord. God would store them up to consecrate them. Consecrating them uh, to, for, for the future day, the coming day in which they would serve him. These metals would serve him. And that they would be repurposed to serve his glory as they would be used in the construction of his temple with Solomon. 
In all of this, God is cleansing the land. It is uh, his plan to dwell with his people in this land. And if he is to do so, the land must be cleansed. God cleanses the land and Joshua lays a curse on Jericho. Look at verse 26. If someone were to rebuild Jericho, it would come at the cost of their oldest and their youngest child. Who can stand under God's righteous and just hand? This is God's, <clears throat> this is God's holiness on display. But I said uh, earlier that this text also shows us God's mercy. It also shows us God's mercy. How do we see God's mercy? Look at Rahab. Look at Rahab. Has God forgotten about Rahab? She is probably, if you remember, she is in the most vulnerable position of all the inhabitants of Jericho. Do you remember where she lives? If you remember when the spies visited her, she lives in the walls of Jericho, the very thing that God is about to destroy is where she lives and is where she was told to stay. We don't know how God spared her. We don't know what it looked like for God to spare her. Perhaps he brought down every single part of the wall except for the one section in which her house was. Uh, The text doesn't say. But the main point here is that God is displaying his mercy. Mercy to Rahab. Mercy to her family. Mercy to all that are hers. They are saved alive, as the text tells us. They were uh, brought to the camp. Uh, Yes, they were brought probably to the outside of the camp at first, but we can assume that after various cleansing uh, rituals and sacrifices, they were brought into the fold of Israel. How do we know that Rahab and her family were brought into the fold of Israel? We know this that they were brought into God's covenant community because we can read Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 in which we see Rahab will one day marry a man named Salmon. Salmon is the father of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, who is Boaz, the great-grandfather of King David, of whom Jesus and that line would come. God's justice is total. He brings holy justice down upon Jericho. But this holy justice also, uh, in, in him doing this, he also saves alive, the text tells us. He saves alive the undeserving. He saves alive those who do not deserve it. Because of what God did, in verse 27 tells us, Joshua's fame extended throughout the land. Joshua in the battle of Jericho, all the land knew what God did to this mighty city of Jericho. God used what seemed to be a foolish plan. Used what seemed to be a foolish plan to bring about justice and mercy, to display his holiness and his mercy. This is how God operates. This is God's pattern throughout history. So why would it be any different at the climax of our redemption? When God used the very weapon of his enemies to eradicate their power. When Christ hung on the cross, God used death to destroy death. This seems like a very foolish 
strategy. Again, Paul tells us that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolish to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is what God has done for you. In Christ, God's justice is fully satisfied. On the cross, he bore the full weight of God's just and righteous demands uh, for sin. Who can stand God's uh, righteous and just hand? Who can stand under this weight? Only Christ. Not you. Definitely not me. Only Christ can take on uh, the full weight of God's righteous demand and then be vindicated three days later as he rose from the dead. And through this, God ushered in his eternal kingdom. At Christ's death and resurrection, God inaugurated his kingdom for all of his people that he would gather in from all the nations. On the cross, we see God's mysterious plan that he has been working out. We see his mysterious plan. We see God's holiness and his justice and his mercy meet as the penalty for sin is paid for. Those who are his are saved. You have been saved. And in this plan, God has been glorified. God gets all the glory. Because of the fame of Jesus is now spread and is continuing to spread throughout the world to the very ends of the earth. God is continuing to establish his kingdom. In doing so, God is working in your life. God is working in your life. Executing his plan that he has for you. It may not always make sense. You'll have moments where uh, you'll look around, you'll see everything that's going on, and, and you'll ask, God, what are you doing in this? What is going on? I do not understand. I know I have those questions myself. We may not always know why. God is doing something, why he's doing it in certain ways, why he chose that particular route. But if God could use such a foolish idea, like marching around an armed city, if he could use a, a foolish idea, like uh, using the death of his son to defeat uh, the power of death over us, God truly does work in mysterious ways. And we need to have faith in him. We need to trust him. As Paul says in Romans 8, uh, that th for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, God is working in your life. He's doing so to reveal his glory. That may be hard to hear. That may be hard to hear because we, we all go through different circumstances, different hardships. But God is working in your life to reveal his glory to you. Remember that in our weakness, God is glorified. God uses the weak to shame the wise. God is using you for the advance of his kingdom. God is advancing his kingdom 
He will continue to advance his kingdom in our day until Christ returns in glory. And as we read in 1 Thessalonians that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of what? And with the sound of the trumpet of God, Christ will return with the sound of trumpets and we will behold the kingdom in its fullness. That day is coming, brothers and sisters. So I encourage you uh, to take heart. Take heart. God is leading you. He is uh, executing his plan in your life. Even if that is in an unexpected way, God has worked wonders in your midst. And yes, he works wonders in mysterious ways and he will continue to do so because he is at work. So if you're confused, if you're discouraged at how he is working, I would have this for you. Run to him. Run to God. Pray that he would make his paths known to you. Pray uh, that he would make his glory known to you in the midst of this Mystery. Pray to him. Pray that his kingdom would be advanced. That he would use you in your suffering and whatever's going on. He would use you for the advance of his kingdom. That in the, the midst of hardship, that in the midst of trial, others would come to see and know the glory of God and what he is doing. That others would be drawn to him. Pray that in the times of mystery, in the times when you do not understand what's going on. Let's go before God and let's ask him to do just that. Almighty Heavenly Father, you work in mighty, wonderful, and mysterious ways. In doing so, you find the perfect way to make your glory known to us in our lives. Father, we pray that you would make known the paths that you would have us go. That you would give us uh, lives that are in accordance with your word. We pray that through our trials, through our, our suffering, you would not only draw us close to you, making your glory known to us, but, but you would use this as a witness for the advance of your kingdom. You would use this as an opportunity to draw others who do not know you and draw them to you and to your kingdom. Father, all of these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.